Broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing, get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to RN Huddle. This is your host, Heidi Keeler, coming to you from Omaha, Nebraska. And today, my co-host, Renee Pollan, who, as we know, is all things wounds, is going to host a very special guest, a returning guest today, Dr. Lee Rootsy. He is the medical director of the Catholic Health Advanced Wound Healing Program in Buffalo, New York, and also fellowship program director for the Wound Care Fellowship. She's board certified in wound care by the American Board of Wound Medicine and Surgery and certified as a wound specialist by the American Board of Wound Management, which is an incredible and impressive resume. And today, she and Renee are going to talk about wound cleansing. You know, wounds are something that we see all the time in our roles as nurses, and really getting it right is important for proper healing and and skin health. So we're going to talk about wound hygiene, skin cleansers, wound cleansers, and then how COVID has impacted these processes. You, It is a very real clinical phenomenon that we have had to address. So without further ado, Renee, Lee, take it away. Hello, listeners. This is Renee Pollan, co-host of RN Huddle. And today I have the pleasure to speak again with Dr. Rutzi. He is a member of the NPIAP Board of Directors and is chair of the National Pressure Injury Advisory Panel Education Committee. He is here with us today to clear the air of what we would think is simple, but really it is much more complex, and that is related to wound cleansing. We will be discussing the who, what, when, where, and how of wound cleansing. So welcome, Dr. Ritzy. Thanks, Renee. Thanks for having me again. So our nurses listening today are well aware of the importance of wound care, especially pertaining to cleansing with every dressing change. However, I know there may be a few instances due to convenience that are not actually the most effective way to cleanse. Dr. Ritzy, I'm sure you have some pearls of wisdom to share in regard to this. Well, I, I hope I do. We'll see. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that this is, this is not so much of a complex topic as it is one that we just don't think about sometimes. I think, you know, those of us who do even do wound care full time, uh, we oftentimes get trapped into thinking, you know, what, what wound dressing are we going to use? Uh, what, what's, you know, what, what primary dressing, what cover dressing? And we forget about a very simple fundamental such as wound cleansing. So this is really based, Renee, on the concept that all hard to heal wounds or all chronic wounds really contain biofilm. That's, that's the basis of the whole concept of wound hygiene. So we, we really believe that wound hygiene is a fundamental aspect of care for all patients, and it really should be considered a part of every dressing change. Absolutely. And many of our listeners, I'm sure, have been told to always use a pH-balanced cleanser. But you know, I always caution to decipher between balanced skin cleanser versus pH-balanced wound cleanser. What, what are the differences? 
Okay, so so interesting interesting question. We've we've got to be really careful to differentiate between skin cleansers and wound cleansers. Skin cleansers oftentimes uh, have agents in them that are strong enough to uh, emulsify things like stool and so on and so forth. And they really are much too harsh in many ways for the wound environment. Uh, so skin cleansers should be skin cleansers and then wound cleansing agents uh, should be wound cleansing cleansing agents, but we really shouldn't mix the two up. Right. And, and when you brought up biofilm, which is always an important aspect to be aware of, especially with wound cleansing, where we need to take a different approach with the biofilm when we're cleansing in various scenarios. And I'm sure you're treating that daily in your clinic, right? Well, as we always say, people whose wounds are healing beautifully don't come to the wound center. Uh, we, we only see the ones that are stalled or, or stuck or have become mm -hmm. chronic. So the literature is pretty solid. You know, when you, you you read literature from people like Dr. Gregory Schultz from the University of Florida in Gainesville and Dr. Randy Walcott from Texas, we can be pretty confident that 80 to 90% of all chronic wounds contain a biofilm layer. Mm -hmm. And the, the biofilms are complicated in a couple of ways. First of all, they are invisible. I mean, we can see slough and eschar and exudate and fibrin and all sorts of things in the wound bed, and we can say, well, that's biofilm. We can probably confidently say that those things contain biofilm, but we don't really see the biofilm. So the recommendation is that whenever possible, the initial treatment should be a good sharp debridement of the wound. We know that sharp debridement removes biofilm, but we don't know how much we're removing. So following the sharp debridement then, we should be using effective anti-biofilm strategies to maintain that clean wound bed. So I would direct your audience to a, a great consensus document. This was published in the Journal of Wound Care in 2020, and it, it was entitled The International Consensus Document on Anti-Biofilm Intervention Strategy. And this article will really outline why, why biofilm is, uh, is such a challenge for us. Great, yeah, we'll have to link that to our listeners on the RN Huddle site. And, and that brings up too, with biofilm, we're treating that with antimicrobials often, correct? And versus surfactants. Correct. That, absolutely. And when you talked about debridement, there's, you know, mechanical debridement can be done too, but there's these new pads out. Have you utilized them? They have monofilaments or microfibers on them. Absolutely. Mechanically debride. Yep. So mechanical debridement is an interesting category to talk about, and it, it certainly it can be uh, an important part of the whole wound cleansing pathway. So we can do things as simple as scrubbing with cotton gauze, or more effectively, as you pointed out, there are microfiber pads as well as monofilament pads out there that are remarkably effective in removing surface film and uh, fibrin and slough. You know, I, I wish that I could show 
some photos of some wounds uh, after <laughs> microfiber and monofilament pads. Of course, in the podcast environment, we can't do that, but they, they, really, they really work very nicely. And oftentimes, we actually hand the pad to the patient and allow them to scrub their wound according to their own levels of tolerance. Yeah, that, you know, that's interesting because sometimes when they do that themselves, it's not as painful. Uh, exactly. I know I've done that with removal of dressings. So that brings up to topical anesthetics when with these debridements or cleansing techniques. What have you used or what would you recommend? Well, so I think it's always really important to plan for the pain. As we all know, there are multiple studies out there that ask the question, what is the most painful part of your wound care experience? And the answer almost universally is dressing changes. So cleansing would go along with those dressing changes. So I think a couple of things are important. First of all, you know, you, you can't walk in the room and put some topical lidocaine on there and go to work. So what we try to do in our center here is if the nurse that is initially in the room with a patient, if they have the slightest idea that we're going to need to get that wound cleaned up, they will apply topical lidocaine, 2% gel, or uh, sometimes we use a lidocaine prilocaine mix uh, that's commercially, of course, known as EMLA. But each of those, especially the EMLA, should be applied to the wound bed and then covered with a piece of gauze and let sit for at least 10 minutes before we get to work doing anything on that wound bed. So, you know, in terms of topical anesthetics, I would say that uh, lidocaine gel or EMLA are probably the two most commonly used, and they're the ones that, that we use here. If we need to do something a little bit deeper, especially in terms of debridement, we'll use injectable lidocaine. But in terms of topicals, the lidocaine gel and EMLA cream are the most common. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I would think that 10 minutes would be um, essential. So yeah, like you said, you can't just apply it and then go right at it, so. Right, and, and I think the, the right way to approach it is to you know have it put on uh, before the provider even even gets in the room or whoever's going to do the debridement because there, there's very little harm to be done with a little bit of lidocaine gel or emla cream but it, it certainly it can make for some pretty grateful patients when time comes to uh, clean and debride absolutely and then clean after the debridement and clean the peri wound so we don't Correct. We, we want to make sure that we clean the wound bed. And then ideally, we would like to cleanse the peri wound, perhaps, you know, 10 to 20 centimeters out from the edges of the wound, or at least to the extent that the bandage covers. Yes, that makes sense. What are some strategies for our listeners who may want to bring back this information or I know you mentioned several articles, but a lot of them may want to discuss this formulary with their providers or, you know, management to yeah. improve wound cleansing. So that the article that I, that I referenced early on is one, and then there's, there's another document by the International Wound Infection Institute, the IWII, and that was a consensus document from 2016, and that really nicely outlines the various categories of 
involvement of bio-burden in wound care, shall we say, whether it's biofilm or planktonic bacteria or wound infection, it outlines that pretty nicely. And I, and I think maybe the most important concept to keep in mind is, is that wound hygiene or wound cleansing should be a part of every dressing change. It's not just something that we do once in a while. We really should be cleaning these wounds in an appropriate fashion. So uh, every, every patient is going to be different. Every do better with you know, one form of mechanical debridement or another or sharp debridement or perhaps ultrasound or perhaps irrigation. Uh, irrigation and ultrasound are also effective methods of wound cleansing depending on the wound environment. Of course, in wound care, we all know that everything is based on what you see in the wound bed. You know, that, there's, there's no one size fits all for this. Uh, what you see in the wound bed in terms of fibrin, slough, eschar, debris, that drives your decisions in terms of what you're going to use. Maybe we can look at some of the solutions that have some, some good literature support in terms of their use in wound cleansing. Does that, uh, does that sound reasonable? Yeah, what, like you said, looking at the wound, what is in there, and then also thinking about, you know, what's, what's going on overall with the patient, comorbidities, and like you said, the invisible biofilm can be there and to kind of look, look right. for what's going on with the whole patient as well. Right. So there's a, a pretty significant list of solutions that are felt to be appropriate given the, the setting. One is just simple isotonic saline, you know, 0.9 saline. Mm -hmm. uh, the, another is tap water or pot potable water. There was a study done some years ago to look at infection rates in wounds that were cleaned either with saline or uh, tap water, and there was no difference in infection rates. So, you know, commonly we tell people to use tap water rather than going out to buy saline. The only caveat to that is that we don't want to use well water right. uh, uh, because we don't know what microbes might be in that. And then you know, there's, there's a lot of commercial wound cleansers on the market. And, you know, it, it's beyond the time of what we have to go through all of those. But again, I think the important reminder there is to differentiate skin cleansers from wound cleansers. And, you know, you brought up the important point of pH balance. I think it's useful to remember that physiologic pH is 7.35 to 7.45, but skin pH is actually somewhere between five and six. So that's why skin is called the acid mantle because it has that acidic pH that's part of its protective function. So you want to avoid, especially on the skin, using uh, high alkaline content cleansers. Povidone iodine. Again, povidone iodine and hydrogen peroxide for the really dirty, contaminated wound, perhaps the initial visit of a wound that really is a mess. Povidone iodine or hydrogen peroxide may be appropriate, but we have to understand that povidone iodine, especially in higher concentrations, is really toxic to granulation and healthy cells. And the commercially available hydrogen peroxide, which is a 3% solution, is also toxic to healthy cells and granulation tissue. 
So uh, we've got to be careful with those. Acetic acid is frequently used. Acetic acid creates an acidic environment that is not favorable for the growth of bacteria. And frequently, we use it in those wounds in which we suspect Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Dakin's solution, which is sodium hypochlorite, basically a, uh, a dilute household bleach, that does have some antimicrobial activity. So in a quarter percent solution, in some uh, situations, that can be appropriate. Hypochlorous acid, uh, which is available commercially, many of us use that. It is a better microbicide than Dakin's solution. And uh, I, I don't want to use the brand name here, but if people look up hypochlorous acid, there aren't many of them on the market. Now, PHMB polyhexamethylene biguanide. This is a commercially available wound cleanser and has been shown to have anti-biofilm activity. And one of the very nice things about PHMB is that not only does it have an antimicrobial effect, it has a surfactant effect. And as we know, surfactant means surface active agent. So it, it uh, has a um, sort of a soap or detergent-like function in the wound bed as well. So I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent on available wound cleansers, but that, that at least is a reasonable list of them. Yeah, that's, that would be very helpful for our listeners because that infection in wounds is always can be a challenge. So having a little tools under our belt are always helpful and appreciate some details regarding that. But uh, as we wind up here, what what would be one of the top priorities or advice that you would like our listeners to take with them today? Well, I, I think, you know, concluding, I think uh, to remember that wound hygiene and wound cleansing should be a routine part of all of our wound care episodes and all of our dressing changes. Even if the wound looks clean, we have to assume that there is some bio burden or perhaps some biofilm in there. So that wound bed as well as the peri wound skin should be thoroughly cleaned. Again, continue this on a frequency based on dressing changes. Make your decisions on your tools, whether you use sharp debridement or monofilament pads or microfiber pads or ultrasound or lavage, irrigation, you know, those decisions are based on what's in the wound bed, as well as what your skill set and comfort level and what your practice act allows you to do. And then, of course, the solutions which we covered at the end, there's a long list of them, but, you know, it's more than just sprinkling a little water on the wound bed. In fact, there's, uh, I, I think all of us have seen people cleansing wounds with those little pink respiratory saline. Right, yeah. And, and uh, so we, we comically refer to that as wound anointment rather than <laughs> wound cleansing. That's exactly right. Yeah, and, and so <laughs> we, we don't want to be anointing our wounds. But <laughs> Renee, there's a fair amount in the literature about this. And also in our recent MPIAP annual meeting, which of course was virtual, there was a wonderful hour-long session on this particular topic 
by Dot Weir. And she really went over this in very, very nice oh, detail. Oh, it's fantastic. So, so any, any of you or the audience that have access to, to that session, that's a really very nice uh, coverage of this. It is, it really is. Well, thank you, Dr. Ritzy, as always. This was a great discussion and very valuable to all settings in healthcare. I, yeah, go ahead, Dr. Ritzy. No, no, I was just gonna say thank you for having me. This is a very nice opportunity and privilege to join you for this and uh, I appreciate it. And I'll, I'll look forward to maybe joining you again sometime. I sure hope so. Well, I encourage our listeners to take a look at the RN Huddle site to view the articles that we mentioned today, as well as visit the MPIAP site to link to all the other MPIAP topics with RN Huddle. Wound cleansing is critical to wound healing and infection prevention or treatment, and we recommend you sharing this information with your colleagues to ensure we are providing the best possible care for our patients. Thank you again for listening to RN Huddle. And Renee, Renee, I just wanna, I just wanna throw in, you know, on the NPIAP board, we we discuss these podcasts and so forth quite frequently, and we just want you to know that we all are really grateful that you and the uh, University of Nebraska Medical Center are willing to put this together and partner with us to do these podcasts. That means a lot to us. Oh, great! Well, I feel uh, definitely privileged and honored to do them as well. I just, I absolutely love them. See you next and- time. Well, having our NPIAP guests with us is always an incredible experience and a complete honor. So Dr. Lee Rootsy, thank you so much for your expertise. And Renee, thank you so much for lending your expertise as co-host of RN Huddle. I just think that the information that we learned here is so valuable and will definitely be able to be put into practice by you and your colleagues. And I highly recommend that if you have an idea or a thought that you would like discussed here at RN Huddle, that you would contact us using our contact information on our website. So thank you once again for participating in our episode today. We'll see you next time on RN Huddle. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.